he was a police officer doing something that police officers do every day, multiple times, thousands of times a day across the United States. In his case, he was criminally charged. He was tried. He was convicted, sentenced to probation, and now fired from his department. He's appealing, and he's here to talk about this and much more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. If you enjoy the Law Enforcement Today podcast, do me a big favor. Tell a friend or two or three. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Calling us from the Charlottesville, Virginia area. We have Jeff Yeager on the phone. Jeffrey it was a law enforcement officer, a police officer in the city of Charlottesville. We're going to go into the details of the story. Long story short, he wound up doing something during the normal execution of his law enforcement duties, wound up being arrested, charged, convicted, and now fired. Of course, appeals are going on. Jeff, thanks for being guest on this show. Very much appreciated. Well, thanks for having me, Jay, and I'm just really glad to finally get to be able to tell my side of the story. Well, the thing is this, Jeff. You read in the newspaper, you read in the media, the news reports, whatever it might be, social media in particular, and the way the police are portrayed, it's always the bad guy. It's always the last thing first. If an officer shoots someone, it's always the headline, officer shoots man. They don't talk about all the decisions a person made beforehand that contributed to what went on. And and that, unfortunately, is a situation with you. You didn't shoot anybody. You didn't do anything like... Uh, Prince of the City stuff, you weren't like corrupt or doing any of that nonsense. Uh, this was a call that uh, every police officer in America probably responds to daily. Uh, I'd say was handled exactly the same way uh, any officer uh, probably would handle a call at least weekly. Um, and I think that's what uh, makes this so concerning is that if, if this can happen to me, it can happen to any police officer anywhere. Anywhere. Literally anywhere and it's not a new problem but it seems to be happening more frequently before we get into details of your story you told me you you were suspended without pay for quite a while you were just fired correct i was placed on administrative leave without pay uh, for six months uh, while the incident was investigated uh, again for the third time Uh, and then yes jay uh, i was fired uh, last week officially from the charlottesville city police Uh, i can only imagine that's a really tough situation to go through because if you were like me, it was my dream, my goal to be a police officer. I lived and I breathed this stuff 24-7. This is the only full-time career I've had in my adult life since I graduated college. Uh, I turned down opportunities in the active duty Army 
uh, to pursue this career. Uh, I've had a lot of choices to go in different directions, and I keep coming back to law enforcement. It's what I like to do. It's what I'm good at, and it's what I want to continue doing. Uh, if we can just right this wrong and let me get back to doing it is what, what I want to do for my community. So I want to repeat, before we go into the details of Jeff's story, what happened, this is being appealed by lawyers in court, both civilly and the criminal conviction. L- let's go to the day in question. How long were you on the job when this incident occurred? I'd been a police officer for about four years um, because of the retention issues we were having at our department. We are just hemorrhaging officers for a period of about two years by this point. So even though I was only a four-year officer, I was already actually one of the senior guys on shift uh, and a field training officer at that point. And you got a call. What kind of call was it? I was a little confused. Uh, like a lot of uh, a lot of calls that we tend to get, uh, the information coming in through the dispatcher was a little agitated, but best we could figure out, it was a domestic violence call, uh, and there's something said about somebody breaking into a house. So you really had no idea going into this when you're heading there, whether this was a hot burglary call, whether this was uh, a domestic violence where someone was in danger, you really had no idea. You There wasn't enough information to really give a good idea of what you're going to. Very little information, but we do the best with what we can. So when you get there, tell us what was going on. Uh, well, uh, as it turns out, I got beat by uh, one other unit, um, which is one of our trainee units. So I arrived in a, in a backup capacity, and a trainee is talking to one of the involved parties uh, out in the parking lot of an apartment complex, and everything seems very calm, and everything seems good. Um, but right as I walk up, all hell breaks loose, and somebody comes running out of the apartment, cursing, screaming, and instantly uh, chaos erupts in this parking lot. And then? I do what any law enforcement officer would do, go to the source of the problem and try to address it. I told the suspect to stop yelling. He did not, so I attempted to separate him from the woman in the parking lot that he was trying to incite to fight him. Was this one of the, for lack of better words, combatants in the domestic dispute? Uh, Yes. Uh, After we managed to get everybody separated and calmed down and actually willing to talk to us, uh, it turned out that, yes, uh, he was one half of the uh, domestic violence incident, which had been called for. One of the reasons I bring this up, there was a a national landmark case that took place in Torrington, Connecticut, that changed the way police across the United States dealt with domestic violence and domestic dispute calls. And from that point on, and by the way, Many people say the police up there in Connecticut, I'm not one of them because I wasn't there. I didn't, I don't know the facts. I just know it's being reported that they didn't do their job and protect the victim from the offender. This guy, and I say guy, was it male? Yes, he was. Okay. This man came out and he was highly agitated. He was angry. So everything goes along with that. It, It has potential for violence, doesn't it? Uh, very near the beginning of my career. In fact, I think um, just about the month that I began my career as law enforcement officer, an officer uh, very near to our area was shot and killed responding to a domestic violence incident on her first night in field training. So oh, yeah, I that's remember all that. Stuck, that's always stuck with me throughout my career, uh, and it just goes back to what we're told uh, every day in training is it's one of the most dangerous things we can do because everybody is, is so emotional about what's going on 
with what's happening in their personal lives. Nobody is thinking straight. So I want to go back. The, the guy was highly agitated. He was angry. And did you at that point think he might be possibly violent? Absolutely. Um, he showed every sign of uh, uh, physical pre-assault indicators, everything we've been trained to look for. I had no idea if he was armed or not, but everything in my training told me that I needed to separate him from this woman because uh, if not, things could get out of hand very quickly, and they were getting out of hand by the second as more and more people joined in the argument. At, at that point, you obviously made a decision to do something, and you, you made a great point, Jeff, based on your training. You looked at things, you saw pre-assault indicators, you saw all these things. What action did you take? This all happened over the span of maybe two or three seconds, and like the Supreme Court says, rapidly evolving, tense, and unpredictable situations. And in those two or three seconds, I made a decision to separate him from this woman. I grabbed onto him, started trying to walk him away from her, uh, and he began to resist me. So I used a vertical takedown against a wall uh, and managed to hold him in place until I could get one of my partners over to help me put handcuffs on him. We're going to take a short break. We are talking with... Jeffrey Yeager. Jeff is, well, he's a former law enforcement officer. He was arrested, tried, convicted, fired. He's appealing the sentence, and he's going to tell you more about the incident. This could happen to any law enforcement anywhere in the United States at any time. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are your supervisors adding to low morale? If you answered yes, but you don't know how to fix the morale problem, start with my book. Beginner's Guide to Leadership by Eddie Molina. Available on Amazon or on my website, eddiemolina.com. That's E-D-D-I-E-M-O-L-I-N-A.com. Return conversation with Jeff Yeager. Jeff is a former police officer from Charlottesville, Virginia area. A long story short, he did, he, he arrested a guy on a domestic violence call, wound up having to restrain him, and Jeff was arrested, charged with assault, convicted, now fired, and is appealing the convictions and the, the civil status with the department as well. Jeff, first of all, I'm sorry you had to go through this. I hate this could happen literally to anybody, anytime, anywhere. Hopefully, if nothing else, it'll serve as a cautionary tale for every police officer out there. Uh, like I said at the beginning, if it can happen to me, it can happen to any one of us. Well, what I want to go back to is this. Back in Torrington, Connecticut, and people can Google this, domestic assault, Torrington, Connecticut. That case, that violent, horrible case, changed the way police interact in domestic calls everywhere in the United States because of a big lawsuit. And quite honestly, uh, the department up there could have done things a lot better. So when you're in a situation, and I was taught this from day one in the academy, when you're in a situation where you feel you don't have to have evidence, you don't have to have marks on someone yet if you feel that someone is going to harm another person in that domestic relationship you have to take action am i correct in that absolutely jay um and i think every law enforcement officer in america has been taught the same thing especially for domestic violence the number one way to de-escalate these is to get the parties separated and as soon as i uh, touched that man i could tell that he did not want to be separated. He was going to do whatever he wanted to that woman, and it was up to me to defend her. So you grabbed them. You uh, pushed them towards the wall. You used the term vertical takedown. What does that mean in plain English? 
well, in plain language, I uh, attempted to walk him around the side of the building, hoping just, if nothing else, to, to break his line of sight and hopefully get him to calm down. Uh, but as I was walking him down around the building, um, I could feel him trying to tear away from me, uh, resisting any attempt I could to arrest him. So I used a wall uh, as a form of leverage um, to pin his shoulders up against the wall uh, so that I could hold him there in place while I got one of my other partners to come over and help me restrain him and get the handcuffs on him without having to use uh, any additional amount of force. Was he injured? Uh, he bumped his head slightly. Okay. Uh, again, the reason I bring this up, I'm in total agreement and defense of Jeff in this situation, as he's telling me, and from what I have studied of the incident. As a sergeant, if I had a call for a supervisor complaint this happened, that's exactly what I would tell them. And I'd tell them the reason why the officer did what they did. So you wound up taking this guy into custody. Obviously, you took him downtown. Did he require hospitalization or medical treatment? No, in fact, he uh, refused any of our offer- offers of an ambulance, a ride to the hospital. Um, in the end, all he asked for and all I gave him was a ride home back to his mother's house. All right, let's talk about you. About how big and how much do you weigh? How tall and how much? I'm about uh, six feet, 170 pounds. All right, so you're above average height and kind of slight build at 170? Uh, yeah, he was slightly smaller than I was. Okay. But you're not a big, I'm like six foot two. I'm losing weight, by the way. You're listening right now, you're thinking, oh, what a fatty. Uh, <laughs> I'm 239 right now. In my prime, I was six foot, 210 pounds, had uh, 18, 19 inch arms, a 50 inch chest, and was uh, needed strength for police work. It was very important that you could physically incapacitate and restrain someone very, very quickly uh, when needed to. So you, you weren't a big guy is what I'm getting at. I've, I've been described as a little skinny all through my life. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't want people thinking, here's a six foot five, 250 pound hulking monster of a man throwing people around. Because that's not true and that's not accurate. I've always been much more of a runner than a weightlifter, that, if that tells you something, Jay. Well, the funny thing is, I'm more of the, the weightlifting kind. Running? Hey, <laughs> look, let's involve someone with a gun. I'm not running. I'm not doing it. <laughs> So you, you grab this guy, you, you wind up taking him to custody, you take him downtown, then you wind up giving him a ride home. Is everything okay at that point? Uh, yeah. Uh, at that point, he told two different sergeants that he had no problem whatsoever with how he was treated. Once he'd gotten himself calmed down, uh, we took him through jail. He got booked out, uh, released on recognizance, and everything was fine after that. I went back to work. A use of force investigation was completed as per usual found to be completely within policy, within law, and I was assigned my third trainee uh, just after that incident. And I want to go back, by the way, in most states, I can't speak for Virginia, I can speak for the state right above in Maryland, a law enforcement officer can use one degree higher force than someone. So if someone is swinging their elbows, you know, or physically resisting, if you have to use a control tactic or even a nightstick which we had or some other come along type restraint you would do that if they swing at you you can use a stick if uh, they pull out a knife you can use a gun there that's what i'm getting at the officer has the right and the obligation to defend themselves and protect people there so that means if someone's physically resisting it's going to be ugly and you got to use some sort of force to contain the situation am i wrong 
Absolutely not. And the models that we're teaching now, Jay, uh, don't necessarily refer to uh, levels of force like you were describing because uh, we've since recognized, and this is uh, what I was teaching my trainees, uh, is sometimes a straight escalation of force just uh, isn't a good enough model to evaluate our decision-making. Uh, simply put, you select that level of force that is best able to regain control of the situation at hand by the least intrusive means possible. In most cases, I'd say um, it's those open-hand control defensive tactics, those open-hand techniques. And in this case, uh, that was the only force used was the open-hand control techniques, an escort followed by an escort takedown. So really, there's nothing about this that is over the top. That's what I'm getting at. It doesn't sound like you did anything or like a reasonable police officer would say, oh, that was uncalled for. Well, uh, many reasonable police officers said it was completely called for, uh, if you believe my corporal and lieutenant. Yeah, I do. I, I really do, because it just doesn't sound like it's over the top. If it did sound like it was over the top, I'd be the first to say that. So, use of force was ruled justified. There was no complaint from him. At what point did this become a different situation? Well, after the events of last summer uh, and a considerable uh, amount of activism became refocused on police and police tactics. Uh, later in that summer, a third party who had seen the body-worn camera tape uh, of the arrest uh, filed a complaint against me. Uh, this person had not been involved whatsoever with the incident and actually hadn't even been there. Uh, but our department's policy allowed third parties to file complaints, and that's how it got brought back up with my department. And we're going to fast forward he wound up being arrested, charged, tried, and convicted, uh, and is now fired while appealing the conviction and his termination from the police department. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We're talking with Jeffrey Yeager. Don't go anywhere. I promise you, you don't want to miss the rest of this conversation. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. We'll be right back. Being switched on is a daily decision, a moment-by-moment choice. The Switched On Life podcast provides life-saving tips to help keep you safe in all aspects of life. Go to Switched On Life to learn more. And remember, stay switched on. Back to our conversation with Jeffrey Yeager on the Law Enforcement Today Show, former police officer from Charlottesville, Virginia, arrested, tried, convicted, uh, and now fired. What were you charged with? I was charged with misdemeanor assault and battery. So when you grabbed him, that was what they considered to be assault? Uh, In the criminal complaint that my department wrote against me, uh, they said that I had no right whatsoever to arrest the suspect that I did arrest. Uh, and therefore, any touching whatsoever was illegal and constituted assault and battery. So I want to redirect, remember folks, Torrington, Connecticut, and the domestic violence case up there and how it changed every department across the United States, including Charlottesville, Virginia. And now they turn around and say, look, this officer took the appropriate action, 
because it, it, if I recall correctly, your use of force had been cleared by the department and everything was okay. That's right. The guy you did this to, the, the other combatant in the domestic dispute, didn't have a complaint. A third party, not involved, wasn't even there, saw the body cam video and complained. Am I correct? That's all correct, Jeff. So at some point, somewhere politically, someone must have said, let's charge this officer. I would hate to speculate, Jay, but uh, it certainly does uh, feel that way. Well, it's obvious. It's, it, where did the charges come from? If it didn't come from your department, who did it come from? No, they, they did come from my own department. Well, at one point, your department had no problem with it. So then some, somehow or another, their, their minds got changed. And what I'm trying to get at is, and maybe you can't answer this because of your, your pending litigation, I'll tell you where it comes from. Police departments are run by the mayor. The mayor and a city manager, all right? So when a police chief operates, a police chief or police commissioner operates under the discretion of the mayor. So if the department says, and you do not have to respond to this, if a department says, this is A-okay, we have no problem with it, then all of a sudden there's about face. I can guarantee you the only place it came from is the mayor or the state's attorney's office. We'll not ask you to comment on that. I'm getting a little ramped up because you have pending litigation. But that's the reality of what happens here um so you have a third party that complains and you wind up how do you find out that you're getting charged with this i had to retain counsel uh the entire proceeding was kept largely hidden from me uh basically the only thing i was told was that there had been a complaint against me uh it was believed to be criminal in nature and that i was being suspended from my duties how did you find that out? Did someone, were you working? And, or did they say, hey, you know, come to the lieutenant's office, we got to talk to you about something? Or they call you at home? What was it? I was given a phone call while I was on vacation. All right. So you weren't even at work when you found this out. This is such a heavy-duty subject. Um, there's two, two nightmares that I and most police have all the time. The number one nightmare is yeah, the, the, the faulty gun where you wind up having to use your gun and it either doesn't work or uh, the bullet dribbles out or it winds up shooting an innocent bystander. And the other one is you wind up being arrested for something that was totally legitimate and you didn't do anything wrong. Uh, you're, you are living a nightmare. I wish I wasn't exaggerating when I said this, Jay, but uh, that's the only word for it. It's been a living nightmare. Um, I, for the past six months, have not been able to get a full night of sleep. Uh, it's taken a, a physical and emotional toll on me, on my family members, on my girlfriend, um, everyone. It has affected everybody in my life. It, it's been awful, just uh, torturous, really, mentally torturous. And you've been given the label of a brutal cop. The city still will not release the footage from my body-worn camera tape. I hate to imagine what other people are thinking when they read about the very vague reports the city gives uh, without that, that footage to place it in a context. I, I can't imagine what they're thinking or imagining. Uh, I understand totally. I don't understand the situation you're in. I understand to this day, you know, I really don't care what most people think about me. But as long as you don't throw out labels like I'm brutal or I'm this or I'm a racist or something else that, that is a violation of my integrity and my personal moral compass, I, I really don't care. But when you start throwing labels like that around, I got to tell you, I'm going to fight back. 
and, and it sounds like you're in a position where you have no choice but to fight back. It's horribly insulting to have these things uh, said about me. Um, I, I was really, I, I really took uh, community policing, uh, to use a, a popular phrase these days, I really took that to heart. Uh, I'm not originally from Virginia, but I really adopted it and made it my home. When I was off duty, I spent a lot of time at the Boys and Girls Club, uh, volunteering with the uh, Special Olympics, the Law Enforcement Torch Run for Special Olympics, um, volunteered for the forensic unit and learned a new skill. I, I spent a lot of my time and effort not just trying to get better at my job, but trying to better my community and to have these things said about me, about what I did to somebody in my city is is, is just horrible. When you found out about the charges, did they arrest you? Did you have to turn yourself in? I was arrested by summons in my police department. So okay. I was not taken to jail, um, but uh, signed a promise to appear um, and went home. So you get a lawyer, you wind up the, planning your defense of this, and if I'm seeing this correctly, the defense attorney probably says, this is a slam dunk, it's not a big deal, no problem, it'll be not guilty, and we'll continue on with the next step uh, as we approach it. it. Was that the basic position on this? Yes. Um, I think in in the original police estimation and my lawyer's estimation, uh, every statutory law and case law supports what I did that day. Uh, general police practice supports what I did that day. We couldn't believe it had even happened, and we expected it to be resolved quickly. So you get the trial. How long was the trial? Uh, in a state where misdemeanors take 10 to 20 minutes maximum, uh, in my experience, this lasted over three hours. And the, the final verdict was what? Guilty. That's a tough one to swallow, man. It, it's one of the worst days of my life. I think the court made some serious errors. Uh, the state's only witness said several lies upon which the court relied, and uh, he admitted to doing as much to the judge. Um, a police lieutenant actually testified on my behalf to again say under oath that no policies of the Charlottesville Police Department had been broken and no laws had been broken, and he was qualified as a use-of-force expert and qualified to give his expert opinion in court, and that was his opinion. So to say that there were mistakes made, I think it's an understatement. And you've got good grounds for appeal, but that doesn't change the situation you're in now. Well, what was the sentence after you were found guilty? Again, in a state where the only sentence that I have ever seen uh, for this particular offense be 30 days in jail all suspended, I was given 12 months in jail suspended with two years on supervised probation. Now, luckily, that has been vacated pending the appeal. So that sentence is not in effect right now, but nonetheless, it was absolutely crushing. So just to recap, something the police do every day that's not flagrant, that's not over the top, that's not corrupt, none of that stuff, you want to be convicted of a crime, a misdemeanor, and you're sentenced to 12 months in jail, suspended and put on probation and now fired from the department where you worked at. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We are talking with Jeffrey Yeager. Be sure to look for the Law Enforcement Today radio show all over social media. We're on Facebook. Look for Law Enforcement Today radio show. On MeWe.com, look for Law Enforcement Today radio show. On Twitter, 
Follow L.E.T. Radio Show P.O. 1 on Instagram. Follow L.E.T. Radio Show Podcast. On Rumble, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Gab.com, search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Again, our website is letradioshow.com. There's a lot more to talk about. You don't want to miss it. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com. Click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu. Or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Jeffrey Yeager on the Law Enforcement Today Show, former law enforcement officer from Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, by the way, I know the former police chief there, Tim Longo. I worked with him when he was a rookie police in Baltimore. Uh, they don't come better than that man. Uh, they really don't. To recap the story, you had a domestic disturbance call. The man came out of the house, was aggravated, angry, agitated, potentially violent. You took action. He wound up having a small bump on his forehead, and you wound up getting arrested, charged, tried, convicted, and put on a suspended sentence and probation, which has been vacated as you appeal this case. And now fired, right? That's all correct. Is there anything worse that could happen in this scenario? I mean, all the the horrible things that could happen did happen. And by the way, it's not like you and the other officers sought this out. It's not like this was an on view where like, hey, I'm going after this guy and tell him to get off the corner, blah, 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 and it escalated from there. You got a call for service for a domestic dispute, and it wasn't something you didn't have a choice. You had to go there and handle it. Am I wrong? Uh, no, Jay. Um, you know, th- this was our job. It was our duty. We didn't have an option to turn away. And unfortunately, I think in today's environment, uh, some of uh, our officers did hesitate that day. If I had had time, I might have contemplated hesitating, but in situations like this, you can't afford but to make the best plan you can in an instant and take action because people's lives are in danger. And it is rapidly evolving to the point of being near instantaneous. And by the way, I'll go back to Tell people, Google Torrington, Connecticut, and domestic violence. That case changed the way we policed in the United States with domestic violence calls. And from that day forward, I remember getting memorandums. I remember getting in-service training that we had to handle domestic disputes differently. If there was signs of any kind of physical injury, the, the combatants, the one identified as the attacker, was arrested. It didn't matter. If we left and we felt that that when the combatants would go at it and one would be harmed physically and or killed, we had to make an arrest. Before that, it was, here's the information, here's the report, you go seek a warrant from the court commissioner. That's the way it was handled. 
that case changed everything. And I think that's a big part of why you did what you did that day and why police do that every day. That's even been codified in our state law is domestic assault is one of the few misdemeanors in Virginia where the police absolutely must arrest somebody. They have really no option, uh, no discretion to, like you said, advise warrants. Somebody has to go to jail at a domestic assault call in Virginia. And if you if you didn't, you could be held liable both uh, criminally and civilly for the injuries sustained by the person who was attacked. Absolutely. So you really had no choice but to take the guy into custody. Am I wrong? As I said, it was our duty to do something. I've only repeated that about five times, it seems like. And the reason I do that is I want people to understand that our police, when it's a situation of a domestic violence call and someone is out of control, agitated, and might be violent, they have no choice but to take action. That is law throughout the United States. It doesn't matter. But when you did... Jeff, you wind up being charged, arrested, tried, convicted, and uh, and put on probation, and now fired from your job. That, that's all correct, uh, simply for doing what I was trained to do. So when someone's suspended without pay, and a lot of people say, well, that's, they don't have a problem with that. I know cops that were suspended without pay just based off an accusation that found that turned out to be untrue and unfounded and the first thing that happens is they and their family lose all their health insurance everything goes away and they can't feed themselves they can't pay their rent their mortgage whatever might be that's basically the situation you've been in since this occurred i've been greatly blessed to have an amazing girlfriend uh, with a career of her own Uh, we've been together uh, for eight years now and she's she's really been the rock through all of this that's kept us afloat but uh, whatever plans we had for life for continuing our lives together all of that has been backed up delayed put on hold for years at this point just trying to recover from uh, just these past six months if it continues going forward uh, much longer like this I, I can only imagine so your plan is you're appealing this, you're fighting back, which is the, the right thing to do, and, and trying to get reinstated and get back pay and, and have your record expunged. Is there anything else you would like? All I've wanted throughout this whole process, Jay, is simply to get back to work. Uh, it's, it's a career that I really fell in love with. It's not something I expected to do growing up, but it's something that I found as a young adult. And I just really want to get back to work if that's in charlottesville that would be amazing but anywhere else i see my service the same anywhere in america and i'm just looking for that place that will give me a chance to restart my life and hopefully one day a long time in the future i might get an apology from the people in the city of charlottesville that willfully chose to do this to me I'm still waiting on apologies for stuff that happened in 1987, and I don't expect it to happen. But what I had to do, Jeff, was I had to learn how to be okay knowing I did nothing wrong, and despite what the outcome was, hopefully it all works out in your favor. You get your job back, you get reinstated, and it gets expunged. And quite frankly, I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for any police department in any city to apologize to their officers. They're more apt to do that to a 15-time felon than they are to a cop uh, who, who's put their lives on the line. How do you and your girlfriend, 
adjust to this? How do you find a spot where you're okay with all this madness going on? We really lean on each other. Um, a, a lot of our uh, personal uh, friend community in the area was through the police department. Um, we've tried to stay in contact, but uh, I'll be honest, Jay, a lot of them are afraid for their own livelihoods if they're so much as seen with me or heard talking to me. So we've had to really rely on each other and rely on our families. And, and we've both, again, been blessed with just the best families who've been doing their best, if nothing else, to emotionally support us. Um, but just trying to take it one day at a time and every single day just trying to find that place that will give me the opportunity to really remind people who I am and why I came into this career and what I can do in this career. How can people help you and other cops that might be going through this? Well, uh, there's the uh, Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund, which often sponsors uh, cases uh, for officers that find themselves in situations like me. Uh, They take uh, tax-deductible donations to fund their assistance uh, for legal fees and sustenance to to police officers who have to defend themselves for doing their jobs. So if people would like to donate to them, I'm sure they'd welcome it. But more than anything, just I'd say get involved with your community and don't take the police for granted. You know, in every part of America, there are great police officers doing great things every day, and it really goes unnoticed. So when people hear about things like this or something doesn't feel right in their communities with their, with their officers, um, Jeff, I, I want to thank you for coming and talk about this. I've had multiple ex-cops contact me about coming on a show that were convicted of horrible crimes, that uh, did other things, that were involved in corruption. I don't put them on the air because they're the exception to the rule, and, and they give everybody that wears a badge a black eye. So th- I'm not saying I don't forgive them. I'm not saying that at all. Jeff's case, I've examined. I talked to people who know about his case, and he wouldn't be on the show if I had the slightest doubt in my mind that there was something involving excessive force or that was contrary to what law enforcement officers are supposed to do. You just wouldn't be here. Everybody in America just wants to have somebody show up in a timely manner when they call 911 and meet their expectations. Uh, if police officers are continually subjected to what I was subjected to, sadly, and we're already seeing this at departments around the country, you will not be able to hire police officers who you will be able to hire to are often less qualified. Uh, people quit, people retire, and we have already lost, Jay, thousands, hundreds of thousands of collective years of law enforcement experience. And there's nobody to pass that experience down to our new generation of police officers worry for the average citizen of America uh, about who's going to be responding to their 911 calls in the next couple of years if if we don't stand up for ourselves and for our officers. We've got to say enough is enough. And and sadly, Jeff, we are out of time. Uh, Please keep me advised what's going on, the latest updates. And I thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you, Jay. Thanks so much for having me. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. Another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.